In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing the 2007 New Life Church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The 2007 New Life Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. Let's begin in the Bible as we always do. This one is 1 Samuel 19, verse 11, and it reads like this. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, Dave's wife, told him, saying, If thou shalt not save thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So we're going to be discussing this shooting. And um, what I want to start with is a couple disclaimers at first. The first one is this is our goal here is not to cover every single detail of the shooting. Instead, we go over the general details of it, and then we try to pull lessons learned from it. Which brings us to the next disclaimer. Um, this is not about woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, we're not trying to make victims out of the victims again. But what we're trying to do is just identify what we as current safety team members could do maybe in the future to help mitigate the number of casualties or even the shooting happening altogether. So let's start with this one. A lot of you are very familiar with this. If you've ever been to a church security seminar where Carl was speaking, a lot of times he speaks about this. He talks about all the different details and the things that they learned from it. Um, but let's go, let's get the details. So about uh, 12.30 a.m., so we're talking the middle of the night here, on December 9th, 2007, a young man who five years earlier had been in training at the Youth with a Mission, that's the YWAM Center in Arvada, Colorado, and asked to come in and stay the night. He had been dismissed from the program five years earlier, 2002, and had recently sent hateful and threatening letters to them. The hospitality director, who, he knew, who knew him and knew of his threats, refused. The young man pulled out a 9mm handgun, which he was carrying, and began firing. The hospitality director and another person were killed. Two others were wounded. Um, the man got into his vehicle and left. Supervisors gave police descriptions of him and the vehicle. A lookout for him was sent out, and the shooting um, and the shooting was reported on radio newscasts. Now, across Colorado in Colorado Springs, the New Life Church, the young man went home for a while and then went south to Colorado Springs. There he called someone he had met while in training at the YWAM. She lived near Colorado Springs. He compared the YWAM shooting to one that happened a few days earlier in Omaha, both as a third-person events. However, when the call ended, the woman realized she had just talked to the YWAM shooter. Uh, so at 1 p.m., so service had been over um, for an hour, um, 
he shows up to the he shows up to the church. Um, this eleven o'clock service, the church had ended. People began leaving um, the parking lot. The young man set off smoke bombs at two entrances. Presumably, this was a diversion. Maybe he hoped to create panic and have people rushing out through the doors. Um, this would have made a nice batch of targets for him. As it was, he began shooting at those nearby in the parking lot, beginning with a family. He killed two teenage girls and wounded their father. Then he wounded another person and dinged several vehicles. With a, with, thousand, with a thousand rounds or thousands of rounds of ammunition in his bag, he wasn't worrying about running out of ammo. Um, he headed for the east entrance of the church and shot through the door. An older veteran inside was wounded. Then, um, then he headed for the main entrance. The security director of New Life Church had heard of the news about the YWAM shooting and suspected the killer would be headed their way. He called the entire security team to duty and had them guarding all the entrances. The killer came in the main entrance. One security guard at some distance away saw him, called to him, and hid. The killer turned in his, um, in his direction. Behind the killer was another guard, a former police officer, rose out of hiding, held her gun at a ready-to-fire position, called out, Police, drop the gun. The killer turned around and pointed an AK-47 in her direction. She fired, hitting him five times. He went down. There he died. Investigators finally determined that the killer died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head from his 9mm um, that he had been carrying from before. Um, the killer's toll, other than himself, were four dead and five wounded. So a little bit about this, this killer. Um, the shooter um, had deep personality issues, even though he was raised in a deeply religious family and was homeschooled. He was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder at five years old. Acquaintance described him as socially awkward. He had bouts of anger, especially with his mother, and from his comments, postings, and letters, he held deep resentments. This includes how he was raised, which he described as psychological abuse. Apparently, he had mental issues. Um, someone who slept in the same room at YWAM said he rolled around at night muttering. When asked about it, he said that he was answering voices. His choice of music, which um, he had a chance to perform, was, at, um, was not at the least the kind of content you'd expect at a missionary setting. It actually frightened others. He tended to look to the dark side of life. Um, the overall symptoms um, may lead some to think that he was autistic or, and or even schizophrenic, while a few might suggest he's demon-possessed. Um, when he was dismissed from the YWAM, his health was cited as the issue. Looking back, it seems um, that mental, Ill, mental health issues should have been in there too. His inability um, may have partly been from his ADHD, or I'm sorry, ADD, um, led him to drop out of community college and of a Christian university. On the religious side, he had been involved in several churches and was baptized in an LDS church. Um, the year leading up to the assault was a dark descent. Files and search results on his computer revealed that he had a fixation on mass kill killings and killers, such as Columbia and Virginia Tech.
Um, he wrote about his hatred of Christians, especially Pentecostals and Evangelicals, calling them hypocrites. He expressed his desire to kill as many as he could. Um, his primary target was YWAM, where he had been dismissed from the program five years earlier, holding a grudge that whole time. He eventually um, didn't say why he, the next target was New Life, but a book was found in his vehicle written by a person who had exposed the sexual indiscretions by the former pastor of New Life, who had resigned 13 months earlier. So, lessons learned on this one. I actually had an opportunity um, today, this morning, before this recording, to talk to Carl Chen. And, of course, he was there, and we, we talked about lessons learned. And, of course, Carl could give me an hour-long list on that. We could be, he, you know, in his, in his joking way, he said, you know, we could cover several podcasts just talking about lessons learned here. But I want to focus on just a couple of them. And Carl, you know, kind of gave his approval for these ones. Or I shouldn't say approval. He, he gave his um, um, blessing slash uh, encouragement, whatever, endorsing them. Um, the first one is exterior patrol. So as this event unfolded, the killer, at one point, he parks his vehicle kind of in, half in and half out of the parking spot. He then rests his, his head on the steering wheel. And several people reported this, how he parked weird and how he was in his vehicle with his head down. Another person reported him seeing the killer get out of the vehicle, opening up the trunk and pulling out a weapon. And so there were all these indicators that something bad was about to happen, things that would have drawn the attention of the safety team to that vehicle, uh, drawn them to see that there was someone inside it, maybe even observing him walking out, grabbing a gun. You see all of these opportunities to see what's going. Even as things unfolded, that exterior response, those safety team members on the outside of the building could have responded there. And maybe, possibly, neutralized him, maybe before killing anyone in the parking lot. That's a lot of speculation, but maybe it's a possibility. Or preventing him from making it into the church at all, into the building at all. And so we have to have exterior patrol. We have to be out there. Cameras are good. I love exterior cameras. And you can see a lot of things. They tend to, exterior cameras tend to be activity cameras. So you can see general activity, but you can't see a lot of specific, that detail. And so that's where you have people on foot. So if you have exterior camera and you have somebody monitoring and you really do have to have someone monitoring it, then that person is now kind of like in a dispatch mode, right? They have the radio and they can say, hey, somebody just parked kind of weird on the east side of the building and call it out and say, hey, go check out, you know, go check out that vehicle. Then as they approach, they'd see he's still sitting there with his head down. Maybe, maybe they would have made contact with him at that point because he's maybe in distress. Maybe this is a verbal de-escalation. We don't know. Once again, this speculation. But the same guy, the same killer is not going to show up to your church. He's dead. So the next time this occurs, is that person approachable? Is that person, maybe we can engage in verbal de-escalation. If, if we're doing a contact cover 
and the one, the contact is trying to talk to him, that cover is ready to respond with additional force if, if necessary, calling police or whatever needs to be done, they can do that. If the guy pulls a gun, it's gonna be that cover who's gonna be more prepared possibly than that contact person to take some sort of direct action. And so maybe that's the scenario where we can take care of it out in the parking lot or even stop the shooting. Certainly once he's getting the gun out of the back, you know, we're really evaluating, okay, what's going on here? Now in a lot of places it's legal and even, you know, that's, you know, a lot of places that's where you have to store your firearm in the trunk and there's all kinds of stuff. So, but still we're see it's a, it's about everything that we're observing, right? Body language, how he's doing it, how is he dressed, you know, what's his facial expression, all these kind of things that we can work off of to help create that full picture. In this guy's case, maybe deadly force would have been authorized right off the bat. Maybe not. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. You know, who knows? And we can all imagine a thousand different things we might see, and each one of those little details affects how we respond. But my point is still, lessons learned. We have to have people out in the parking lot. Now, the second most important thing, and it flows with that first, is that this actually happened well after the service was over. So this is an extremely large Omega church, and probably 90% of the congregation had already left. They were already on their way home or at home. They were gone. It was just the remaining people with Bible studies and meetings and um, the people that just refused to go home. You know what I'm talking about. You know, just there's all these other things here. So where's the security plan beyond the service? Now, we've talked in the past that safety team members need to be at before, during, and after the service. And so that's something that you have to think about. What's the length of time? If there's a lot of activities going on in the church after services, your team should be scheduling for that, planning for that the best you can. Now, I understand a lot of times we have a lack of help. Our volunteers maybe don't want to be there for four hours in a day or five or whatever it is. But we have to be thinking, who's covering that? How do we cover that? And that kind of brings in the next thing that Carl said to me on the phone today was this, is we have to have a plan that goes beyond the presence of the safety team. And what that means is that we have to have staff, high capacity volunteers trained for emergency situations. What do they do on Tuesday at lunchtime when an active shooter comes into the building and starts shooting, assuming you have people there. You know, we have to do something. If you have, you know, maybe you have a Celebrate Recovery course or, or you know, class, or you have Awanas or Royal Rangers or whatever children's programs going on at your churches during the week, what's the plan for them at that time? And so we have to think beyond Sunday we have to think about beyond the midweek service and we have to start overlapping into things and that comes down to training. It can also come down to safety postures. So an example is this, is we had a Celebrate Recovery program that met at a church I used to go to. They were the only ones in the building. And so what they did for convenience prior to me talking to them 
is they left us in particular door unlocked. And so people could just come and make it up. They'd have to go down the hall, up some stairs, and into the room that they were in. Clearly, this is a security concern, right? Because theoretically, let's say it's somebody from that group, maybe he got kicked out of that group or black slid or whatever you want to say, actually came back with the intent to cause violence. If they can just come down, you know, through the same door that they know about, go up the, down the hall, up the stairs, you can see how that, so a safety posture can help in some of these situations. What is our rule? Is it a phone number that you give out and say, hey, when you get here, call me and I'll open up the door? Is it, hey, you know, we're, our class starts at 10, so we're not at the door at 10. So is there a buzzer or a doorbell or text message or what? You know, think about these kind of things to have security throughout the week. Not only that, the leaders of that Celebrate Recovery need to do, know what to do in case of a medical emergency. What to do in case of a violent intruder or, or disruptive person? You know, what to do if there's a fire or a tornado is bearing down on the building? They need to be trained in this. It's cross-training for as many people as possible. You know, it's those leaders, those volunteers, that staff. And so the two big takeaways, though Carl could have um, probably gotten on this podcast and talked for three podcasts, is, is one, Patrolling that parking lot. We have to be out there paying attention for suspicious behaviors. Now, I get it. You're probably not, you know, for depending on the size of your team, maybe you're not out in the parking lot the whole time. I get that. Now, ideally, you would be, but if you can't, but maybe it's a combination. You got somebody on cameras. You got people that do random patrols out there. You got people that can be dispatched to go check out suspicious activities out there. You have all of these different options to work for your team. I can't tell you what's going to work. Just do your best to get out there, patrol that, and have a response plan should something bad happen out there. And next thing, cross-train, cross-train, cross-train. You know, one of the things Carl said to me, and you know, he was excited as, as we were talking on the phone because he was there, and he felt the pressure and the stress, and to this day, it motivates him to take action, is he, he talked about the next shooting. So, and he said some things that are, are, are challenging, I think, for all of us. A lot of us right now, we're still trying to recover our safety ministries from the whole COVID thing. You know, getting back into the routine of training, back in the routine of getting stuff going. And, and for a lot of us, you know, kind of human nature, maybe we're dragging our feet a little bit. And if we're not personally dragging our feet, Maybe it's other people on our team that are just kind of dragging their feet on getting back into the swing of things and, and start starting to take the security stuff seriously. Um, and what Carl said is, is like, it's probably only a matter of, of days before another one of these church shootings occur. And then everyone will get ramped back up and be ready again and really take things seriously. And it's just unfortunate that it takes one of those violent encounters somewhere. I mean, just a few days ago, another high school got shot up. And they're happening so much now. You know, I, I wonder if we take them as seriously as we should be serious. You know, I mean, this is a huge, this is intense. 15-year-old kid kills three people and I think wounds eight is the last thing I heard, or maybe it was six or eight. I mean, th these things are still going on and we still have to be prepared. 
And let's do it before, let's do it before the bad event. Because that bad event, I mean, not to, I don't want to do hyperbole or work off of fear here, but somebody listening to this podcast or watching this YouTube channel, your church could be the next church, right? And so let's be on our game. Let's get back into it. Let's really take some real action now so we're not the victims and and encourage your friends and family at other places. Hey, take this thing seriously because it's only a matter of time. So thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, you know, all that good stuff. If you like, especially, you know, if you like our content, even if you <laughs> give us a review. Um, reviews go a long way of telling computer systems, algorithms that uh, we're worth sharing and we're worth liking. So if you do that, that would be awesome too. Other than that, thank you so much for tuning in and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.